Ecclesiastes. We are continuing on in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've made it to chapter 3. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Yes. Anyone know what genre it is? In the Bible, there's different genres and there's different types of writings. Anyone? Wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in there. Uh, the more I read and the more I'm studying it, there is a lot of wisdom in this. There's even some poetry. It's unusual. We're going to actually look at some poetry this morning. Chapter 3 has some, um, which is unusual for me because poetry is not one of my, my things. PJ. Um, you know, when we were dating, wanted some poetry, and I, I did the, the typical, roses are red, violets are blue, your feet stink, and so do, no, that didn't work out well. Um, despite all that, she still married me, so, um, yes, huh? Yes, there's that one as well. There's many that I, but again, not good ones, so, but Ecclesiastes has some great poetry, some great Hebrew poetry, and so we'll look at that a little bit this morning as well. What is uh, the key to understanding Ecclesiastes? What's uh, the, the, that help as you read it, that you don't get depressed and you don't give up on reading it and say, why, oh, why, God, did you put this in our Bibles? What is the, the thing that should be running through the back of your mind as you read it? Everything under the sun is meaningless, vanity, but because of your perspective, right? Humanistically speaking, if I look at it without God, if I look at it just as the world looks at it, it's hard for some of us that have been believers a long time, but before Christ, if I look at the world in that frame, it's meaninglessness. Why bother, right? It's hopelessness. You know? the, the, the phrase, live today, drink, eat, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, you can see where that would fit in that philosophy, right? Because why? What's the point? And so Solomon here, as he's written this later in his life, is looking back and he's reflecting and he's watching the world go by and he's had all this wisdom and he looks at the world and says, man, what is the meaning? And again, if you take God out of that equation, you are sorely lacking. It is hard and it should give us empathy for those around us who don't know Christ, right? They're walking around, we say blind, they're, they're walking around not knowing. They don't know their purpose. Or they're chasing, right? They're chasing after something, whether it be finances or careers or... And that's what Solomon goes through in these chapters. And so today we're going to look at a little bit different section. Last week we talked a little bit about some of the philosophy, right? And some of the, the chasing after there and the meaning of that. And this gets a little bit more into the the meaning of work, right? Why we work. And that can sometimes too feel meaningless or without purpose. So, chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. You're going to see I start this off again. This is part of that poetry. And so from here on out, you're going to see the opposite ends of things. In fact, there's Seven of them, or 14 listed, from one extreme to the other. And so you'll see that as we go through this section of poetry. Um, to be honest, I've used this passage many times, and not to be a downer, but at funeral services. Right? It's a reminder of that we have a short amount of time. This is one of those 
um, that we pull out as pastors and we use them to help people to comfort them through that time of mourning and grief at a service or a graveside. So there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So you see the, the contrast, right? The, the going back and a, a time, and we talk about that our time is short, right? And one of the things that we, we know that in our life, that it's, it's very short. And again, if we look at it that from that perspective of that this is all there is, our life, that we live right here on earth without God, it's really short. We look at it from the perspective of a believer, though, it's eternity. It continues on. There's no end, right? We're just beginning in many ways our journey. We're just some, put it on a timeline. It's just a dot to what lies ahead. So there's great hope in that. There's, there's more than just what we are doing now or the situation. But within that time of life that we're giving, there are times, there are seasons, there are moments, right? Obviously, planting right now, your garden wouldn't work if you tried to do that right now. Neither would it work if you tried to harvest it in the spring. It doesn't work that way, right? There's a season or a time when we do things. And Solomon goes back and forth with these things that there is timing, and timing is everything, right? Timing is everything. We, we know that in our relationships, right? There's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. I'm still working on that one in my relationship with PJ, but also even with others sometimes, right? There's those timing things, right? And there's many of them here, whether it's building or work, there's a time that's involved. There's time to do things. But again, in all of that, what is the purpose? Well, you have to read on here and go forward. Verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? Solomon is, is great here in his teaching of this. He quite often sets up the next section. Again, I told you that, that the work is going to be the next section, is what he's going to focus on, right? If we work, I mean, most of the time we work for a paycheck, and I've had different jobs, and sometimes that gets you through for a time, but it's not very fulfilling, is it? Right? You get a paycheck, you put it in the bank, you spend it, you got to go back to work again. You know, Monday morning sometimes is not the most easiest or the most pleasant, right? So toiling or working is not always enjoyable if we look at it from just that perspective. 
can be the same, though, if you have a job that you really like and you're working, but you're working to advance, right? You're to move up the corporate ladder, to go up, you know, to, to be the boss and, and get to that point. But sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you do everything you can, but someone else gets promoted or someone gets brought in from the outside or you get passed over, right? And your job can become meaningless, right? Well, my purpose was to, to get to the top and now it's not there. You know, what's the point? Many of us, that's the time we, we may change careers or shift careers. I remember as a kid, the, the, the goal was to get into a job and stay there and work all the way through to retirement. Um, I worked at UPS for a long time, and I'd watch guys work 30 years and retire, and, and, and they'd be just totally worn out, but that was the goal. But today, averages, if they're anywhere near it, the average person goes through seven different career changes. Seven, right? Start off in one direction and head up in totally another I'm thankful for that because I actually started out to be a phys ed teacher. Believe it or not, that's what my heart and my desire was to be working with kids and playing in the gym class with them. I got into the careers, in the science and the body. I'm like, no, I just want to play with the kids. I don't want to know all this stuff and change careers. But interesting, my degree is actually in management, which has nothing to do with ministry per se. There's always some crossover, but... Again, changing careers or changing our life direction happens more frequently now. But even in all that, it can become meaningless if we're not doing it for the right purpose or with the right heart or with, like I said, without God involved. Verse 10 says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time, he also has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom God, what God has done from the beginning to the end. Bryce mentioned that a little bit in his Sanctity of Life, right? We, God, in before in our mother's womb from the, the beginning of time. Still, I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that we're all here this morning, and God knew that before the beginning of time, that we would be here this morning and who's here and who's not here? If you can do that, you're better than me. I, I just can't grasp that, the knowledge, the foreknowledge, and the knowing the outcome. And he knows what tomorrow brings. But yet God does that. God knows that already. I heard the ladies are studying the awe of God. That would be a pretty awe in of that speaking of, right? The, the knowing ahead of time. And God knows that we need to work. So Psalm is referring to here. He says he, he knows that's part of it, that he, he, yes, he provides, but he provides that we have to do something in order to obtain it. Now, certainly that's part of the fall. Bryce mentioned that in Genesis chapter 3. That is part of the fall, that part of that curse. We now have to toil the land, but he does still require that. We have to do something in order to get something. And that can be a great burden. Like I said, going back to the example of just working for a paycheck can become very unsatisfying. We don't see a purpose in it beyond that. And yet there's something in us, there's something 
God has created in us that we have a purpose. We just don't always know it. We don't know what that is, but we know that there's something bigger than what we are. Even if you talk to an unbeliever quite often, they know that there's something out there. They'll try to explain it in different ways, but there is something that's beyond what they can see. They just don't know who it is yet. Again, we have a responsibility to let them know. Verse 12, it says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Now, you could post that on Facebook, right? That would work, right? You could post that, just that, that sentence, right? And again, relatively speaking, yeah, there's nothing for better to be, for people to, be, to do to be happy and to do good while they live. But without any backdrop or without any purpose or without God, that good could be endless, right? That good could actually be evil. Think about it for a minute, right? What some people see as good is really evil without God. We're even capable of that as well, right? I'm going to say this. I'm going to be careful how I say this, but sin is good for a time, right? Don't go home and say, pastor said sin is good. Go ahead and sin more. No, that's not what I'm saying. But if we can be honest, for the moment, sin is good. The consequences and what happens after that is not so good. But in the moment. So you see how if you just posted that verse, how that can be posted on Facebook without explanation. But if you did, right, you can see how that can be mis used, especially if you take God out of the picture. Really, the more I read Ecclesiastes, the more I see how important God is, how much I really need to rely upon him. I need him to show me what is good. I really need him to show me my purpose, right? We talk a lot about that point way after we are saved, what is the purpose? What are we, what's next, right? I love it when new believers ask that question, what's next? What's your purpose? Some people will say, well, what's God's will for my life? I say, well, read the book, mm-hmm. right? Don't ask me because I can't tell you. God doesn't give it to me to tell you. It's in the book. You have to work that out with God because it's different for each of us, each and every one of us. God has a particular plan for each and every one of us. Verse 13, it says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all the toil. This is the gift of God. Right? Hear me in all this. There is enjoyment in life. It's okay to enjoy things. It's it's okay to enjoy a steak. It's okay to enjoy a salad if you really like it. PJ does. Not me, not so much. But it's okay to enjoy those things, right? God created things for us to enjoy. It's not a bad thing. It's not a sin to enjoy it. But remember who gave it to you. Again, the key here is going back to God. It's a gift from God. You that plant, you that do gardens, you realize this very quickly, right? You can do all the right things year after year, but you get a different outcome quite often, and it's dependent upon God. 
rain, enough sun, good seed, good soil. There's a lot of variables. God is the one that gives. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. We touched on this a little bit yesterday in our men's group, and I'm not, hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn. If I am, Bryce, you can, and some of you guys that were here, you can correct me. But we talked a little bit about the fear of God, right? And our, our natural inclination is that fear is respect. And certainly that is true. We should respect God, and, and as believers, we have that awe and that respect for God. But in, in that, in our Western culture, we've kind of lost a little bit of that actual fear. That he is the God of the universe. He is the creator. He is the one that is in control. And a little healthy fear, I think, would be good of our Father. Again, not waiting for the lightning bolt to come down and don't hold my hand, right? I've, I've had all those conversations, but a little healthy fear of facing our Father someday in judgment is not bad. It can be very helpful. It can keep us from doing things. When I was a kid growing up, that little healthy fear kept me from doing a lot of stupid things, right? I was afraid my dad was going to catch me, and I'd catch a spanking. And guess what? That was a healthy fear of my father. Try to instill that in my kids as well, right? A little healthy fear. We, as parents, it's okay to, hey, fear your parents a little bit. You know, there's a consequence. And as parents, we get to give those out. And appropriately done, a little healthy fear is good. It prevents them from doing things. Can I say it's not too bad in the adult world either? Have a little healthy fear. But fear of God is a, can be a very good thing. Another sermon for another time, but I thought of that yesterday as we were talking about that in our men's group. Verse 15. Whatever has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account another again as we look at our relationship with God and quite often believers will say well I don't need to fear God right and no not in the judgment sense of heaven or hell because as believers we know that we have someone that is advocating for us and has already covered that but there is a second judgment. There's a judgment of what we do here on earth. And that's a rewards base. Yes, if you do what God asks you to do faithfully, well done, good and faithful servant, he will reward you for that. There's some qualifiers around it, or the right motivations and exactly what he told you to do. But there is a reward. But there's a judgment whether it was good or not good. Again, when we add God into that, that changes the paradigm greatly, right? Back to the work thing, right? God wants us to work. How we work has now meaning to it, right? We will be judged on how we work in whatever job that we do. Were we a good employee? Were we courteous? Were we respectful? Were we, did we steal what you goes on and on, right? Did we follow God's commands at our work? So now it has meaning, right? And if we do that well, there's a reward for that. 
So even Solomon way back then understood a little bit that there is something that God is going to do. God is going to judge us for how we live our lives. It's amazing in a way, considering where he is in life versus where we are now, and we can look back and we have the benefit of scriptures and Jesus and all the teachings. But again, Solomon had a lot of God-given wisdom. That's where it comes from here. Three to says that. All right, move forward as we go through this. My goal is to get through chapter three today, and so I'm going to kind of speed along, but I would encourage you to take a look back through this week and marinate on it a little bit, work through that. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity to be judged, to judge every deed. There is injustice in the world. It's not always fair. Bryce was mentioning that yesterday as he's working through that lesson with his kids, right? It's not always fair. Our courts, I can say this, under the freedom still, our courts are not always justice. It's not always true. There is wickedness in our court system. There's wickedness in our leadership. We can see that, right? But I don't have to get wrapped up in that. I don't have to get wrapped around the axle. I don't have to be so uptight about that that I can't function because I, again, if I look to the scripture, I can trust God's got this. God can handle this and God will take care of it. He is the ultimate judge. He's the righteous judge. He's the one that knows the hearts. He knows what's going on. So in that, Solomon here is saying, I have to trust God with this. Interesting enough, Solomon himself was a judge in many ways. When people would come to him, they would come to him with problems, and they would ask him to rule wisely on a situation. And so as a judge, I'm sure maybe there was some conviction like, "Ah, maybe I didn't do that one quite right. I got swayed. I got swayed by one of those beautiful queens or the gift that they gave me when they came to ask me the question. Where there's money and those things, you can be tempted. I don't know. Solomon may have always judged correctly, but I tend to think probably not as a human. Solomon's not this great pillar any more than any of us. And he could be, I'm sure he made some wrong judgments along the way. We know by some of his actions he did in his choices. But God will take care of it. God is the one that's the ultimate judge. So we can trust in that. Verse 18, into the next section. It says, I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Well, I could go a long ways on that, but I'm not. Surely, verse 19, before I go any further, but humans and animals, surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Again, there's that key word again, right? Humanistically speaking, they're the same. I know some people that love their animals more than they love people. and some I can understand in some cases, but again, 
I could get in a lot of trouble here real quick. I'll go on to verse 20. And to dust. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust they return. Right? So we're no better than an animal. We are all just a piece of dirt. There we go. I figured I could say that. Scripture backs it up. It's right there. Right? Again, that would be pretty depressing if I take out in light of eternity and who my creator is, if I look at it from a human standpoint, really? That's all I am is a lump of dust? Not much hope in that, is there? Then he quickly turns it around here in verse 21. He says, who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? He's questioning that. He has that, that, that question, right? The, the spirit within us is an unknown to Solomon at this point. Now, many have taken this, and this is where all dogs go to heaven. I'm not going to go off on that, and you can have fun with that if you'd like. Or do they not go to heaven? Again, don't attack me after the service. I, I, I avoid that question. I don't know. I'll leave it at that. All right? But Solomon's saying, if they're all the same, what's important is their spirit. Where does the spirit go? And again, if I pull that out to today, to my own situation, and for application purposes, if I look at people, not as dust, that's not what I'm saying, but I look at them as a living, breathing spirit, and their destination is in question, it causes me to pause a minute, Right? there's only one of two options for them, for that spirit, heaven or hell, right? We spent the, the beginning contrast, well, the contrast is here as well. And so if I know that, if that person is destined from all their actions, from everything I see, and their unrepentant heart headed towards hell, then I have a responsibility, a urge I should have to share the gospel with them to share what Christ has done. It matters not only what they're doing now, but it matters for all eternity, that there is more than just this life. And so out of that, it should trigger me to share the good news. One of the great things I appreciate about the movie and last night, and again, you that joined us was, was a great time of fellowship, but at the end, and obviously through the movie, was the gospel. It was clearly presented. It was showing the change and the difference. Bill Robinson obviously had purpose once he got saved. Totally turned his life the same for each. He continues on in that. It can be the same for each and every one of us. It may not be as dramatic, but still nonetheless, any less of an awe. That work that Christ does in us. And finally... As promised, the end of chapter 3, verse 22 says, So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? All right? Again, if you can find enjoyment, enjoyment in your work and know that it has a purpose for God, it changes a lot of that can help you, really, give you encouragement, can help you in that part of that ministry. Work really can be a, and should be a ministry. 
And for those around you, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to share the good news. So yes, your work as a believer has meaning. It's not meaningless. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And even though at times it seems like it's a struggle, Lord, it speaks life. It speaks truth. It helps us understand our purpose in life. It helps us understand that you want us to not only enjoy, but to live a life in expectancy of your return. And Lord, may we live that out so that when we get there, that you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, I just thank you that we can come and worship you this morning. And thank you for all that you do and for all the opportunities that you give us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.